Clear Down Route, Episode 4. Welcome to episode 4 of Cleared On Route, the Canadian Aviation and Space Exploration Podcast. My name is Danny Vicar, and joining me is my co-host, Chris Johnson. How are you doing tonight, Chris? I'm doing great, Danny. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Just uh, enjoying the little bit of warmth that we got here on the fourth day of autumn. Little, little bit of a recurrence. It was quite cold earlier. A lot of, uh, a lot of rain as well. Oh yeah, we, we, didn't, uh, we, didn't, we didn't get that much rain here. Oh just, really? Yeah, no, just, here just in Toronto we had a... A whole day. What's that? Just humidity. The humidity was killer. It was the Humidex was up in the thirties. It was No, it was nice. We didn't have any of that. So okay. uh, it sounds like you got the worst of it then. Yeah, lucky you. I mean we are Canadian, we have to complain about the weather. Yeah, that's the only that and construction. Well weather's the only thing that actually keeps Canadians together. We all hate it no matter what time of year it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not, you know, Air Canada that's going to keep us together if they're going to keep going on strike or threaten to go on strike. Oh, jeez. Yeah, <laughs> so I guess uh, we'll use that as a segue into uh, the overview of our episode. So we're going to be talking, as Chris mentioned, about uh, the the very nearly avoided strike that could have happened at Air Canada last week. We'll, we'll talk about a new air show, or uh, rather a new TV show, that will be airing on CBC, dealing with some Canadian aviation. Talk about a fiery death of a satellite, and about the flying, the Canadian flying ace that you've never heard of. Also, we have some very important news about Cleared on Route. Sounds like a pretty good episode. We've also got a history of aviation segment coming up, talking about a uh, popular plane, and Danny's going to cover an event he recently attended out in uh, London, Ontario. So let's jump right in. So as we mentioned, we have some pretty big news about Cleared On Route. We are now on iTunes. Yay! Yes, now you can automatically have our MP3 download to your computer. You don't even have to ask anymore. All our podcasts are belong to Steve Jobs and his replacement. <laughs> now, we are working on uh, getting onto the Zoom marketplace as well. Um, and uh, whatever the uh, the BlackBerry users use to stay uh, caught up on their podcast, we'll have to look into that a little bit. I didn't uh, I didn't know BlackBerry users listen to music. Right, it's all business all the time. Oh. <laughs> uh. In the meantime, you can always grab our show from our website, and you can also always sign up for the RSS feed, and that will automatically show you the latest episode. So you can find us on iTunes. Just search for Cleared On Route. You can click the link from our website now, and it will automatically open iTunes and do all its magic there. Thank you for listening, and tell your friends. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you, everybody, so far for the support. It's been a lot of fun starting this show off, and, and we're looking forward to continuing it. All right, so moving on to Air Canada news. Uh, it was a fairly big week for Air Canada. 
First of all, we have an article from MSNBC titled, Air Canada Tackles Mobile's Missing Link. Now, this is an article that talks about a new mobile app, an iPhone app that Air Canada has put out that will allow passengers to compare fares across different days, book seats on airplanes, see a seating map, see what's available. Basically, everything that you can do from the computer screen now in your phone. Oh, that's pretty pretty fancy now. Is that supported across all phones? What's the what's the coverage? It's only for the iPhone to start. Oh, I will leave my Samsung uncharged then. <laughs> yes, you don't have to start searching <laughs> for them. Um, the Android market, they uh, haven't mentioned. I'm, I'm sure it'll be coming, but uh, it seems they always uh, everybody always focuses on getting it out for the iPhone, the iOS out first and then other devices at a later date though uh i guess that's kind of a discussion for a more uh, techie podcast whether that's cool or not sticking with air canada news the company nearly avoided a strike by its flight attendants on september 21st it was literally at the last minute in the last hour that the company and the union came to an understanding uh over the new contract and uh, avoided the strike, which would have basically paralyzed the whole uh, company, its operations and everything. People were starting to make uh, plans about, or alternate plans rather. WestJet and other airlines were planning on introducing more flights to take over um, the passengers that would have been left stranded by uh, the lack of Air Canada flights. So... um, it's good for Air Canada that they were able to negotiate the contract with their uh, employees. Yeah, now, I, and originally the employees had kind of voted 98% in favor of the, the walkout. Um, mm-hmm. So so it looked pretty you know imminent and, and surefire that the walkout was going to occur. Now, at the same time, um, the government had announced that should a walkout occur, they would be tabling legislation that introduced... Um, back-to-work legislation and and would force the workers back to work. So whether the strike happened or not, to some degree, it's, you know, whether or not it actually occurred. Uh, But fortunately, it was avoided, and and for now, everybody's back to work, and and Air Canada is, as you said, continuing to deliver passengers. Yeah, now, this would have been Air Canada's second strike in three months. Uh, Of course, earlier this year, its reservation staff went on strike for a few weeks there, so... It definitely wouldn't have been uh, good for the company. Now, yeah. one one interesting or a couple of interesting facts actually that I've heard. Speaking of the government, I heard they were actually planning on starting the process to t- to get the legislation through. Uh, basically, the Wednesday that the strike could have started, so they were kind of jumping the gun on that just in case. Well, yeah, and and the minister in charge of that, I believe it's Rose Ambrosia, I, I think, had had stated prior to that that you know, a, a couple days earlier that they would table legislation. So at that point, the the employee side of the argument, they they really don't have much of a choice but to try and find some compromise, and and the management knowing that back to work legislation would come into play anyways, really, you know, they've got pretty good leverage there. They don't have to worry too much about uh, concessions when they know that should the worst occur, the, the government's got their back. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's definitely a, a discussion that could go on for a long time, oh, for sure. whether or not the government should get involved, especially with a uh, relatively public uh, or rather pri- private company. 
Yeah, I mean, Air Canada was a crown company and, and is private now, of course, or has been for a while. Um, and, and you're right, there are, you know, arguments on both sides. One, one saying that, well, Air Canada does provide routes and, and service to areas of Canada being so vast and, you know, sparsely populated, uh, provides service to areas that other places don't. And, and in that way, it is a concern of the federal government. On the other hand, the argument is that, uh, as WestJet stated, they would open up new routes. So if, if Air Canada did go on strike, would other airlines be able to open up services eventually? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? So those are the two arguments that, you know, go to either side of that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now the second interesting thing, and I was telling you this uh, earlier today, I was looking at the stock of Air Canada, and it was quite interesting that it, it rose just before noon on Wednesday, September 21st. And then it's dropped, and it's been lower than it was before the uh, threat of a strike. I don't know. That that's something maybe to to look into. See what else came into play there. So it so it actually fell after the strike was called off. Exactly. Which um, I don't know. To me, it seems a little bit weird. Yeah, I'm not sure what's up there. We'll have to take a look. That seems counterintuitive to to myself as well. So if anyone could explain that to us, please tweet. <laughs> We'd love to know why that happened. Yeah, send send us an email or uh, leave a comment on the website or as Chris said, t- uh, tweet us and uh, yeah, that'll be quite interesting to see. Now, while Air Canada's stock is uh, fairly low, probably the lowest it's been in a while, Boeing's stock has risen the most it has in six weeks. I've got an article here from uh, Business Week. Boeing rises most in six weeks as 787 delivery ends delays. Now, of course, this uh, article is referring to Boeing delivering their first 787 Dreamliner to uh, ANA, all Nippon Airways. Um, So it seems like the 787 is finally going to be entering service. Oh, that's great. Now, that's interesting. We talked about that just the other weekend and and speculated on how that would affect Boeing and uh, what the commentary would be like after the the jetliner had actually been delivered so you know what are what are people saying about this thing so far people seem to like it and boeing is planning to ramp up its manufacturing schedule from two to three that it's currently doing a month to 10 a month now they do still have quite a few backlogged there's a total of 821 ordered according to wikipedia wow so they they've delivered one They'll be building those for a long time then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they will be. Now, if they put them out at 10 a month like they want to, that'll take about 80 months. So you're looking about seven years. Yeah. So hmm. I I think by 2021, they probably will be finished with the current backlog. Now, again, according to the Wikipedia article... Uh, the latest delivery date that I see here is 2020, and that's for 18 for Delta. Now, Delta does have another, an option for 150 on top of that. So I guess they'll wait and see how it's doing. In, um, in Canadian news, Air Canada is expected to receive 37787-800s by 2013, and they have an option for another 23. Oh, excellent. I wonder which routes those ones would be flying. I would, I would probably expect their uh, international routes. I mean, the 787-800, or the 787-8-8, I guess, 
is uh, has a range of approximately 8,000 miles, so call it maybe 14,500 kilometers or so, uh, depending on how it's arranging it. Um, the ones Air Canada is getting will be powered by the GE motors. Um, they're General Electric next generation engine. It's a high bypass turbofan jet engine. And, uh, we should do an episode on engines at some point as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'd love to take a look at those old radials. Play play some audio samples of them, maybe. Yeah, for sure. So uh, by 2013, we should be able to go down to Pearson Airport and watch these guys uh, fight it out with the uh, A380. That's great. I look forward to it. Moving away from the Jetliner news, we've got a story here out of AvWeb. It's about a new TV show coming from the CBC called Arctic Air. It's an ice pilot spinoff. Now, according to the CBC, this show is going to be a dramatic show, so it's not a reality television series. And it's going to be following the adventures of a group of pilots who fly small bush planes and huge World War II prop planes on daily missions in the north. Um, So... I guess a new drama from CBC in, in the vein of similar dramas they've been releasing lately um, about various aspects of Canadian life, this one focusing a bit on our, our aviation and and the true north, if you will. Um, looking forward to seeing that one. Yeah, it's a spinoff off the Ice Pilot series that's been so popular, quite frankly, around the world um, on from, from the History Channel. So it's going to be quite interesting to see what exactly what kind of stories they push and uh, what uh, what happens. Yeah, I'll check that one out. Now, I mean, I, I have to admit, I haven't actually seen the, the original Ice Pilots as I'm not a huge television guy. Um, but I, I have seen the dust-up one. You sent me the, the web links to that one. And I, I got to tell you guys, I mean, watch that show on online. We'll put the link into the, the show notes here. Um, but watching those pilots fly some of their crop dusters out in Saskatchewan, it's it's insanity what they do. Yeah, and this uh, this is uh, an actual reality show, Dust yeah. Up TV. Um, yeah, sorry, that History one is. Channel. Yeah, um, they they literally they will fly under power lines, and and I'm not talking the big main pylons that you know distribute power across the province. I'm I'm talking the rural country road, half knocked over in some place, timber poles, you know. Um, just amazing flying. Definitely watch that one. Now another story here from the Star. The flying ace you have never heard of. Now this is a story that actually took place here in Toronto earlier in the week. A former Canadian ace who flew with Billy Bishop. Um, actually he was married to Bishop's cousin. His name was Billy Barker. Now the reason you've probably never heard of him and, and you know Billy Bishop was that after he died in 1930, um, unfortunately his his grave was poorly marked and and it wasn't a very good memorial at Mount Pleasant until recently when an executive living in Toronto named John Wright kind of, you know, was in Mount Pleasant and and noticed this uh, small memorial to to a war hero and did some research and, and recognized who it was and, you know, pushed to have it recognized. And and the reason he pushed to have it recognized, and, and we'll give you some background on Barker here, but, you know, Barker is truly one of the, the Canadian aces. So in total, he downed 50 uh, enemy aircraft, and that was enough to have Ernest Hemingway craft a character based on him uh, for the book The Snows of Kilimanjaro. 
1918, he, he also became famous when he engaged 15 enemy planes at once in a dogfight. Um, he did sustain major injuries, and, and his plane was heavily damaged, and, and he was in and out of consciousness. But all the while, he managed to somehow, you know, crash land his plane and, and keep fighting while he was crash landing. So quite quite a war here. Now, when he returned, him and Billy Bishop actually attempted to open an airline, but they eventually failed. And as I said, he, he died in 1930 and was largely forgotten after that. Um, so now that the new memorial is open, on, on September 22nd, they had an unveiling, and it's now uh, publicly viewable in Mount Pleasant Cemetery. You can stop by and, and see William Barker's, sorry, Lieutenant Colonel William Barker, Barker's uh, memorial. And just a quick rundown, he was actually decorated 12 times. He received the Victoria Cross, the Distinguished Service Order twice, the Military Cross three times. Uh, he was mentioned in dispatches from the front lines three times. Uh, the Medaglia d'Entro uh, Valor Militaire, an Italian medal, sorry for the mispronunciation, he got that one twice. And uh, the French Croix de Guerre, um, so quite a, quite a, you know, decorated hero. Yeah, wow, that's that's a lot of medals, especially for. I mean, he he probably gained all those in in the First World War. Yeah, well, obviously absolutely. he did. Sorry, my history is a little off. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, uh, he, he died he in didn't 1930. He didn't two, know. Yeah. He didn't know what was to come. No, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, and you got to so, think those those guys were were flying. You know, the first airplanes, literally the first fighters. Yeah, absolutely, and you know he he was just a farm boy from Manitoba, so. As with a lot of the World War One and World War Two aces, these weren't guys who, you know, went to college and then went through a, a strict training program. You know, not the the high pedigree of, of jet fighters that are out there today. This was more a case of, you know, hop in the plane, get some hours and, and head for the front lines. Um, so a, a truly impressive record for sure. And and truly commendable for John Wright to have, have pushed so hard to get that recognized. Now, another story here from msnbc.com. It's actually uh, about a week old, so it's, it's dated, but I'll explain in a second. It's called Coming Up This Week, Fiery Death of a NASA Satellite. And what they were discussing at the time was the upcoming reentry of the Upper Atmospheric Research Satellite. Now, since, and, and now that we're recording, it has actually reentered. It reentered on Friday the 23rd, about 11.30 Eastern Time. Now that it's returned, they're not quite sure where it's come down. The, the speculation is that it came down somewhere in the Pacific, given the, the last known location of it and, and where they lost track of it. And some may have hit the coast of the United States, but there's no confirmed reports and, and there's no sightings of it. It's a little history. The, the Upper Atmospheric Research Satellite was actually launched in 1991, and when it was launched, it was put into an orbit of uh, with an altitude of 600 kilometers and an inclination of 57 degrees. And by comparison, the Hubble is at 559 kilometers with an inclination of 28.5 degrees. So a similar, uh, a fairly similar orbit, uh, pretty much at the extent of what a shuttle could could reach. Now, this this satellite was one of the tools used back then to help identify and and monitor the hole in the ozone layer and other properties of, of Earth's atmosphere, so it was a very instrumental tool. Originally, it was slated for a three-year mission, but the final life was 14 years, at which point it was put into an orbit which would eventually uh, decay. Six years later, uh, here we are, and, and it's back on Earth now. Well, parts of it are back on Earth. Most of it actually burned up. 
So as I said, no sightings. Uh, however, it was heavily followed on Twitter. Uh, weeks before, a Twitter account was opened uh, called UR's Reentry. And every day, every few hours, they would update the orbital elements. And a number of followers were tweeting and, and actively discussing the, the demise of this satellite. And enough so that when it kind of passed over the west coast of North America on its last go, a Calgary filmmaker saw an opportunity to start tweeting about uh, his supposed view of, of the satellites that crashed down and uh, stated that it came down in Okotoka, Alberta. Um, however, this is this has since been a hoax, and, and he's admitted to it, and that he was inspired by War of the Worlds. Um, but for a minute there, a number of people on Twitter, and I, I was watching on Twitter Live as well, had retweeted that it came down in Alberta, and it, it took a few minutes to, to clear that up. Now, along with that one, there is another one that is set for reentry in about six weeks. In, in about six weeks, this is Rosat, and it's currently about 270 kilometers above the Earth. I mean, it's got a Twitter account as well. It's at Rosat uh, underscore reentry. We'll post that in the show notes. Um, if you follow along with that, it'll be updating its orbital elements over the next six weeks as well. Um, and I'm sure there'll be quite the following in discussion. Yeah, this is a great use of of uh, social media. Now, is NASA behind? Somebody in NASA behind these uh, Twitter accounts, or? I'm I'm not sure if it was NASA. Now NASA did have their own, and they do have their own Twitter account. Yeah, and they were tweeting about the satellite as well. They weren't tweeting necessarily the orbital elements and the technical details. Uh, they were tweeting things like, you know, don't worry, your head won't get hit by a piece of debris. Don't worry, your pets are safe. You know, et cetera. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. The, the the standard stuff. And I, I don't actually know who is behind the UR's uh, retweet account. But often the space missions, it will be the team that's actually managing the, the mission. So quite often that's a combination of a, a university team and one of the laboratories at NASA, whether it's, you know, Ames or JPL or, or something like that. Oh, okay. Well, that's really cool. I'll have to look, uh, look for uh, this one when it uh, comes in, uh, about mid-November, I guess. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it some more and, and we'll retweet some of them. As they come out, I'm a I'm a huge orbit freak, so we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that one for sure. We'll finish up the news here with uh, an update on the Canadian Air and Space Museum situation. Now, if uh, you are signed up to our to our feed and are following us on iTunes or through our webpage, you'll notice that we did put out a special episode on Sunday dealing with the um, current situation at the Canadian Air Space Museum. Now, that, of course, is that the museum has been evicted by uh, the curators of the land, and uh, it seems that the plans for the land on which the museum is set, and it seems the land that on which the museum is is slated to become ice rinks. Now, the museum is mounting a fight back. They've had a couple meetings with their members and, and an open meeting with the park management earlier this evening before we recorded. Um, so to see the latest details of, of their fight and what they're doing to try and get you know, the museum saved, uh, head on over to their website. We'll post the URL in the show notes. Um, follow them on Twitter. Follow them on Facebook. Those will also be in the show notes. And, and as Dan said, we'll be you know, tweeting along with them to, to post what comes along. We have two events on the calendar this episode. The first is the 53rd annual Fly Day 
taking place at the Ottawa Flying Club in Ottawa, Ontario, on Saturday, October 1st. The Fly Day is a charity event uh, where people from the Ottawa area, or if you want to drive all the way to Ottawa or if you happen to be in the area, you can take a 20-minute sightseeing flight over the city for $35. The flights are provided by the aforementioned Ottawa Flying Club and by other local pilots. This gives you an opportunity to see the nation's capital from the air and enjoy the Parliament and the Rideau Canal and all, everything else that Ottawa has to offer to tourists from the air for only $35, and you are supporting charities. For more information, you can go to flyday.ca, and uh, we will be putting a note and a link in the show notes. But that's taking place on October 1st. That's a Saturday. The second event that we wanted to mention takes place on October 7th, and that and it's called Aviation Stories. Now, this takes place at the Canadian Air and Space Museum and is slated to be a presentation and a talk about William Barker, the Canadian ace that we mentioned in our news, in your, in our news segment. Now, we also mentioned that the Canadian Air and Space Museum is currently being evicted, so we would recommend calling ahead and confirming that the event still is taking place. On September 17th, I had the opportunity to visit the Jet Aircraft Museum down in London, Ontario. Now, the Jet Aircraft Museum was holding an open house as part of Open Doors London, and they were also flying their brand, brand new restored T-33 for the first time. So it was quite a celebration there. The Jet Aircraft Museum was officially started in April of 2009. They currently have a number of aircraft, including T-33s, a Vampire, and are they're looking to acquire more jet aircraft, more Canadian jet aircraft, rather, such as the CF-5 Freedom Fighter or a, a CT-114 Tudor, like the Snowbirds Fly. So they're a very tight, tightly knit, knit group there. Um, they were very welcoming, and, I mean, we we walked in, and as soon as we were in, in the building, somebody already was talking to us and helping us around and telling us about all the aircraft they had there. And you could just feel the excitement in the air as uh, the noon hour launch of their restored T-33 approached. While there, I also had the chance to speak with Steve Biggs from Air Combat Zone, and he told me about a fundraising initiative for the museum. So basically, the uh, the museum's running a Cash and Dream Flights lottery calendar. Okay. Um, there's six Dream Flights being given away, uh, two flights in a T-33 jet, one flight in a Vampire jet, there's three flights in the Harvard, so there's six Dream Flights. Mm-hmm. There's also cash prizes all year long. Okay. Uh, starts out with a $1,000 early bird draw, uh, and then there's $50 being drawn three times a week all year long. There's 150 at the beginning of every month. Uh, there's 150 again if there's not a flight being given away that month. So all okay. told, there's 206 draws. When somebody wins a draw, they go right back in as well. So you can win a $50 draw and still be able to win a flight later on in the year. So you get 206 chances okay. to win. And the tickets are only $30. And those funds are going directly to the museum to help uh, uh, keep the jets flying. Mm-hmm. 
That's wonderful. So, uh, does the, when, when does it end? Is there a deadline for entries, or how can people? Basically, the early enter? bird draw is December the first. So, okay. folks want to make sure they get their ticket before the early bird draw. Okay. Um, they can um, check out the uh, museum's website. It's www.jetaircraftmuseum.ca. Okay. Um, optionally, they can always contact uh, Air Combat Zone if they okay. do a search for that, uh, or aircombatzone.com. They could call us. We can um, explain how they can get a hold of a calendar by dropping by ourselves or the museum or there's locations in Kitchener and Waterloo that we've got distribution as well. 